Hello again. Still can't get rid of me, can you? So, here we are. Uh, MC Rulio. We're going to look at the Nazis after Hitler's release from prison here, following the Munich Putsch. So we're now looking at the years 1924 to 29, or as they're known by some historians, Nazis in the wilderness. Okay, uh, this is a period where the Nazis don't seem to be making much progress. In fact, they seem to be going backwards. So we're going to kick off with Hitler being released from prison in 1924. Um, obviously, prison experience, not good for him. He'd much rather be free than in prison, but... It does give him a chance to reflect on his policies, remember, and he emerges from prison with a clearer vision for the party, a clearer vision of what National Socialism was all about. And here's a little rundown of his ideas as outlined in Mein Kampf. He wants to break the Treaty of Versailles, make Germany great again, make it self-sufficient so it doesn't need to import as many goods from elsewhere, capture more living space, Lebensraum, and uh, make Germany full of pure Aryans, drive out people who he thought were racially impure. He wanted to use big business for the benefit of the country and, uh, as I've said, drive Jewish people out of business. And he wanted more workers to be working for the benefit of the country rather than for themselves. He wanted to remove democracy from the inside rather than through force. And he wanted to assert strong family values, tradition, go back to traditional German art, music and culture. Get rid of that old, old? of the new stuff, sorry, get rid of the new nonsense. And he believed basically in the survival of the fittest, he believed that life was a struggle, different people, different nations competing against each other, and that you should be ruthless in that struggle. So he felt that Germany should be struggling against the Allies to reassert its place in the world, and the Nazi party should be struggling against its political rivals, and he believed that German people, or pure German people, should be struggling to become superior over less uh, racially pure types as he saw it. And remember he sees the Aryans as being most superior, the Eastern Europeans as being worse, and then the Jews as being the very bottom of the, the racial ladder. Okay, so Nazis in the wilderness 1924 to 29. In 1924 the Nazis won 32 seats. Not amazing, but not bad. By 1928 that had slipped to just 12 seats. So, his new policy, winning power through elections, is that working? Don't think so, doesn't seem to be. Hence, wilderness. The Nazis look lost, don't they? Not being successful. It's not surprising, really, because of the Stresemann years. Remember the Stresemann years? Yes, 1924 to 29, it's the same period of time. Germany's doing better. And as a result, well, they don't need to be voting for these extremists. But it is a little bit more complicated than it appears. So we're going to look at this and think about maybe why these are the wilderness years and also think about what the Nazis did during this time. Was it really as wilderness as we're told? Now, one of the key things here is that the Nazis had failed to win the working class vote. It became clear to Hitler the working class tended to prefer the communists and the socialists. So whilst they didn't let go of appealing to the working class, they did decide to switch their energies more towards other groups. So, we're going to look at key changes that the Nazis made between 1924 and 29 here, and the first of which then was targeting different groups of people. And they switched from targeting workers to targeting farmers and the middle classes, because it was these groups who had not benefited under Stresemann. He also decided to appeal to big business, and with appealing to big business came a little kick in funding, 
because Big Business decided, ah, this Hitler chap seems to be on our side, we'll give him some money. Big businesses like Krupp, who uh, were big giants of industry, gave the Nazis money. And this money, then, this extra funding, allows them to make other changes. So, number two, party organisation. They set up a network of regional parties. Each area of Germany was broken up into a region, or a Gau, as they called it. And this was run by Gauleiters, a regional head. And each regional head answered directly to Hitler. This set up a national structure for the party. They didn't have this before, and this was vital if they wanted to become elected. A chap called Buhler was put his... Uh, was made Nazi secretary, and another chap called Schwartz was made the treasurer. So they had an actual party structure here that was able to take them across the country. Number three, they expanded the SA. There were 400,000 SA lunatics by 1930. Problem is, Hitler didn't particularly trust them all. They'd become fanatically loyal to, uh, to Ernst Röhm, and Hitler didn't like the idea of this. So he set up another group, the SS, the Schutzstaffel in 1925. These were run by a chap called Himmler. Himmler, not Hurler. <laughs> That's it. Well, if he'd been born a girl, he would have been Hurler, but he was a chap, so it was a him Himmler. <laughs> anyway, um, run by Himmler, and um, they were fanatically loyal to Hitler himself. They had to swear an oath of, of personal allegiance to Hitler. They wore black uniforms, and they were generally better trained and a little cleverer than the SA meatheads. And they became Hitler's personal guard. Number four, Propaganda. Dr. Joseph Goebbels was put in charge of propaganda, and he was a genius at the time. He appealed to emotions, not logic, just like Hitler's speeches. They used scapegoats. They made the communists, the Jews, the, the Weimar politicians to blame for all of Germany's problems. They didn't really come up with anything amazing themselves, but they just slagged other people off. It's just what politicians are like nowadays, isn't it? And... Um, they really went to town on this phrase, the November criminals. Remember these Weimar politicians who'd signed the surrender in 1918 and signed the Treaty of Versailles. They used technology, radio, film, to, to make them seem current and up to date. Hitler even flew around on an aeroplane when he was gigging. <laughs> not, not gigging, but you know, doing speeches and things. Flew around the country on an aeroplane. Wow, impressive stuff for the 1930s. Did it work? Well... Actually, these changes did work to some extent. 100,000 members by 1929. And um, even in towns like Northheim, they'd been increasing in size since 1928, the, the local Nazi party. Hitler had become a national figure. However, as we've already said, there's no breakthrough in terms of elections. In terms of uh, seats, the Nazis win 12 seats in 1928. Uh, without meaning to sound rude, remember... Hitler wanted an election, but couldn't get it up. Um, that doesn't sound too rude, anyway. Twelve seats in 1928. He wanted more than that, but he just couldn't do it. And Stresemann had rebuilt Germany at this time. Support for extremists generally had dropped. There was no electoral breakthrough for the Nazis, but don't forget what they have done here is they've laid the foundations. Without doing all this stuff, they would not have been in a position to exploit the Depression in the 1930s. So this is not wasted, these changes they've put in place. Okay, they've not benefited from them by 1928, but they would not have benefited from them in the 1930s had they not done them in the 1920s. So, Nazis in the wilderness? Yeah, face value level, maybe they are. Not getting particularly successful, are they, in the elections? But, 
they have laid the foundations for the Nazi house. And that's important, otherwise your house falls down. There's one to remember when you're older. Bye-bye.